Welcome back to another episode of the podcast uh, Locker Room Edition, where we take your live questions. We do a Q&A for a good 45 minutes to an hour. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the co-host of this Locker Room Q&A session. You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. I am the editor-in-chief at Pride of Detroit. Thank you for joining us uh, with us today, as always, our co-host for these Locker Room sessions. We'll start with Ryan Matthews, Senior Editor. At Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan, how are you, man? I am awake and I am cognizant. That's good enough. You know what? Yeah. That's that's that hits the two requirements really needed to to participate. I'd say. And I'm aware, so I got three things going Ooh. on. I'm well, like we'll, I'm like we'll right to... there with artificial intelligence. <laughs> All right, you know, neck and neck. <laughs> uh, and, and yes, you you you're awake this morning. If you do want to join us for these locker room sessions live, if you're listening on the podcast. 10.30 a.m. Saturday mornings is when you do this on the Locker Room app. You do need an Apple device to do that, but uh, they are looking to expand beyond that. So all you Android users, keep an eye out. Our other co-host is Eric Schlitt, the managing editor of Pride of Detroit, at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. Eric, what's up, man? Hey, buddy. It's uh, I, I think I check at least two of those three boxes that Ryan has, so I think we're good to go. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to leave it up to the listener to, to try to decide which one you're missing there. <laughs> it's a mystery podcast. <laughs> All right. Um, so on this week of the podcast, th- there really wasn't a, much, a lot going on. The line signed a couple guys in the secondary, but we don't really need to get into that. I kind of want to just go full Q&A this episode because we're honing in on the draft here less than three weeks away. And I know a lot of people are eager to talk about the draft. Maybe they're eager to talk about some of the guys in the secondary that they've added. Uh, but we'll leave that discussion completely up to you. You guys are in control of the show this week, which... Kind of scares me a little bit, but we'll see where it goes. Um, so let's let's head straight to uh, to our live callers and start with Earl. Is it Earl or, or Ural? It's Ural. Ural. Oh, my bad. Uh, how you doing, man? How you doing? Good, good. I got a question. Do y'all think Do y'all think Jared Goff can win the Lions? a Super Bowl if we build around him the right way. All right. Uh, yeah, starting off That's hot, I like I, I, I like this question because uh, yeah. our, our buddy Mike Payton put an article uh, out today saying the Lions need to avoid uh, drafting a quarterback. They need to build a team around him. Jared Goff has gotten to a Super Bowl with a team around him. Um, are either of you two believers that that he can, he can win a Super Bowl here in Detroit if the Lions, you know, if Red Holmes hits on some draft picks here? I believe if the Lions can build the way like the Rams built and do better, I believe Goth can win the Lions the Super Bowl. You agree, Ryan? They can't do it like they did Stafford. Right. Or we're going to fail him. Yeah. No question. I mean, I think we can all agree that they, they didn't build enough of a team around Stafford. Yeah, I For think sure. if you if you look at the Lions, um, especially during Stafford's tenure, I think in the 2014 yeah. season that can be that can be the blueprint of like that was the most complete team that was ever built around Matthew Stafford in terms of, you know, he had weapons and Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate and Eric Ebron. Uh, yeah. They had uh, some semblance of a running game, but the most important thing they had a you know <clears throat> they had a uh, you know a commendable defense, right? They had a defense that was you know, within the top 10, according to a lot of metrics. So um, that would maybe be the blueprint for Jared Goff. If the Lions can hit on, 
you know, a few draft picks here and there in the next couple of drafts. Maybe they can put a team around him, but I don't know if Jared Goff is necessarily that guy. Um, it, it was a pretty good team that was built around Jared Goff and they had just about everything in place. Granted, you know, they had the unfortunate circumstance of their best offensive player, Todd Gurley, you know, dealing with injuries in that Super Bowl, but um, it, it's almost as if the, you know, the league found out how to defend the Rams offense. And when Jared Goff got pegged as a quarterback that could be contained um, in, in a variety of ways that, that really limited his ceiling. So we'll see. I mean, yes. you never want yes. to say never, but and I, I, gotta, I don't uh, like the chances. And I got a, a other question on um, one pride family. Uh, who do y'all see? If we don't trade the pick at number seven in three weeks, April 29th, who do y'all see our Detroit Lions taking at number seven? I'll throw, I'll throw that one to Eric. What do you, what do you think? Well, uh, I, I think it's going to be a receiver. I mean, that's my gut, right? It's, you're, you're going to expect three quarterbacks to come off the board with the first three picks. And then I'm expecting Chase uh, and Sewell to go in those next couple and then probably Pitts as well, which leaves the Lions with which one of those Alabama receivers do they like? My gut is uh, Jalen Waddell. And so if I had to make a, you know, peg a selection right now, I would say the pick would be Jalen Waddell if they stayed at seven. But uh, my opinion is, I think my opinion, I think the Lions don't need to take a receiver at seven. <clears throat> it's just me because it's deep at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. The Lions need linebackers bad. We that's been our problem for years since since last time we had a good linebacker was with Lovey. We haven't had a good linebacker. We need linebackers bad. Well, let me let me counter that by saying there's not a linebacker at seven that's worth it, in my opinion. And, and no matter how talented you, this class potentially is, I don't think any of them are, are more talented than the top of the receiver class. And, 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 if, and, and if you're staying at seven, you, you, you're picking for value, right? Um, so – I would. I, that's why I would go receiver. I, I I'm not a believer in Parsons right now. I don't think he's a guy who's a top ten pick. And there there's other valuable linebackers, but in my opinion, those are guys that you would get. Necess- you might go after in a trade my, back. And I don't like Jalen Waddle. I think is better receivers than him. <clears throat> Too little to me, and he's kind of injury prone. Because look at his his last year at Alabama. He came, he was hurt, and then he came back in for the national championship game and got injured. I'm tired of taking these injury prone players. I'm tired of it. That's why Bob Quinn got fired. I I, I I'm I want to stay away from Jalen Waddle. Bob Quinn got fired me. because he that's was pretty me. competent. <laughs> that's just me. I want to stay away from Jalen Waddle. I don't get me wrong. He might be in a being good. You never, you never know. Sure, but um, that's the name of the draft. You never know. All these guys are question marks. I hope he, and if he does come to the Lions, I hope he becomes the best ever. Because because I'm a Lions fan, and I hope everybody becomes good that plays for the Lions. 
Yep, we're we're all going to be rooting for whoever that number seven pick is. Uh, thanks for joining us, Earl. Appreciate the questions. Appreciate the comments. Yeah, you too. All right, uh, let's bring up Adam. Adam, how you doing, man? Good. How you guys doing? Good. 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 So I was just, you know, <clears throat> when if the draft falls the way that we might see it fall on it with uh, seven, I just come curious if, if Sewell somehow finds falls to seven. But there's still a quarterback like Justin Fields there, um, and then I'm, I'm sure teams will be calling, offering that some uh, some future assets for that pick. I, I'm leaning towards Sewell because I think that's more of a short bet. But I just I think if if we take Fields, the whole landscape, the whole discussion of this team's direction kind of changes. So, one, I want to see what you would think what we would do there, and two, how that might affect someone like Goff um, in the next season if someone is sitting on the bench that you know if he has a game or two where he struggles. Um, I'm sure the fans are going to be calling for Fields to, to get out there and, and, and have a chance to show what he can do. But just kind of want to see what you guys thought there. I'm, I'm leaning towards O-line because if, you know, if we get Sue and he's you know, one of those talents that we think he could be, um, we could be set for a long, long time. Yeah, and I think I'm, I kind of see eye to eye with you there. I think Sewell's a top five pick in this draft, and um, yes, it kind of creates an issue where he's probably best suited as a left tackle. But I don't think having two left tackles, two elite left tackles on your team, is is necessarily a bad thing. And if he has to start at right tackle this year, I think he's going to be fine there. Um, it's interesting though, Ryan, because we we dealt with this scenario on our Thursday night mock drafts where we traded down and Justin Fields was still there at nine. And we took him because we just, I mean, I thought the, the value there was, was much better than anyone else on the board. And listen, I, I, I know I'm, I'm with most people that say I don't think this team needs to draft a quarterback next year. And I don't really think that the Lions are interested in doing it. But if a one falls into their lap, either at seven or nine or 15 or wherever they are, it's something they have to consider, right, Ryan? Yeah, it's absolutely something they have to consider because Jared Goff is who he is. And I think that while, a lot of us want to give him we, we want to give him the benefit of the doubt that, you know, maybe a fresh start, maybe a chance to hit reset, maybe a chance to move on to a different culture and away from Sean McVay. We, we might see something more out of Jared Goff. We might see him take a step. We might see him grow in the way that he wasn't able to necessarily grow under Sean McVay's system. But I think what Adam brings up is a really interesting point that if the Lions do decide to go quarterback in the first round, that changes the trajectory of your most important position because all of a sudden it kind of puts this self-imposed clock, this timer on Jared Goff's time in Detroit, seemingly before it even really begins. I mean, yeah. I, I think I think it's a really interesting point to bring up and it's an interesting thing to consider because it, it is the most important position. And one of the things that everybody – you know, keeps on coming back to, and I, I don't think it's really worth arguing, but like the, the value of having a rookie quarterback who can perform on a rookie contract really helps make roster building that much easier. So yeah, it, it's something that you have to consider if, if Sewell, I, I want to throw this question to Adam, if Sewell and Fields or Trey Lance, a quarterback is there at seven, what's the decision you make? I personally, from everything we've seen and heard and Brad Holmes' connection with Goff, I think they'd take Sewell just to give him that opportunity and then kind of take that pressure away because our O-line would be, I would say, top five, top ten in the league. You know, Swift would have some holes. We would be, I mean, it makes everything better. Everything better will kind of fall into place. But then we've seen what happens with 
uh, like last year with the Eagles when you know Wentz kind of struggled and he got in his own head and then Hurts is on the bench and it just gets louder and louder and louder and then at one point in the season he just kind of that kind of just falls apart. So yeah, um, mm-hmm. I, I would like to lean towards O line, but then you know you can look a couple years back and say, and if if one of those quarterbacks ends up being you know a top ten, top five quarterback, then you say oh shit that happened, but that's just the way it it always happens. So um, I, yeah. I it's just, it's just crazy this year because there's so many options for the Lions. It's not like last year where we missed Chase Young the year before or whatever. We missed Josh Allen and it just things like seem to happen. But this year we, we have so many different ways we can go. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. It makes it very, very exciting. Really just kind of, I feel like every year we, we've had a pretty good idea, at least what they need or, or <laughs> what's going to be available to them. But with the Lions having so many needs and really so many possibilities ahead of them, it does kind of bring about all, I mean, we're, we've been playing all these kind of, scenarios in our in our head and and i want to throw this to you too eric because i know i know you're of the belief that the lions probably aren't going quarterback in this draft but if you were general manager you're sitting there at seven and justin field and, and penny sewell are there at seven are you are you sitting this one are you taking all 15 minutes off the clock to think about this one yeah i i think the order that i would have it ranked in is trade back sewell and then the quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Sewell, the way that I look at the, the draft board is the quarterbacks are its own draft board and then everyone else, right? Yeah. And, and I think w- when you're comparing the value of a quarterback versus an offensive tackle, it, it's like an apples and oranges type of conversation because – you know, you either need a quarterback or you don't. You're either going to take a quarterback or you're not. It's it, it's almost it's very black and white. And, and when you're considering a quarterback, but Sewell is arguably the best non-quarterback in this class. So you'll have an opportunity to take one of the top non-quarterbacks uh, at seven. That's that's a real value there. So if they think they need a quarterback, then you know I think Fields is the obvious choice. And and but. It, uh, like Adam just said, I, I also believe that this organization believes that Jared Goff is deserving of a chance and they would probably lean towards taking the offensive tackle if trade back isn't an option. I, you know, look, I, if, if he's, if Goff struggles, it's not going to matter if Justin Fields is behind him or Tim Boyle. The, the fans are going to call for the backup no <laughs> matter what, right? And so, um, it, you know, I, I think it, it's just a matter of, do they think they need one? And I don't think they think they need one, right? And so that's yeah. why I would think Sewell would be the option. Um, but a trade back always is probably the best option in a rebuild. Fair enough. All right, Adam, appreciate the question. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, let's bring up Carrie. Carrie, how you doing, man? We can uh, hear you now. Yes, you sir. Hey, yes, sir. How you guys doing? Good. How are you? Jeremy, I have a new nickname for you. I call you the Sports Stash, man. I love the mustache. <laughs> and and Ryan, I am I'm with you with Kyle Pitts, sir. I'm gonna get a Kyle Pitts tattoo on my neck. <laughs> no. uh, so, hey, if yeah. you get one and you send it to me, I'll get one on the other oh, side, and we can be okay. pitch buddies. All, all right, all right, I like that. All so right. you know, you know, we we you know we, we made some signings in the second, you know, and for the secondary and everything. So you know, pretty much nothing will probably will happen. I'll be surprised before the draft, um, you know, but just looking at and li- even listening to the uh, the podcast, you know, there's this is a very offensive heavy um, draft. And I, I was just kind of curious, is it is it because of the rule changes that we're not hearing a lot of um, or there's not really a standout defensive player that everyone is talking about? 
Um, and with that, would there be an opportunity for us to kind of um, sn- kind of sneak through the back door and add some really good talent um, in the later rounds um, to our defense? Uh, I'll throw this one to Eric in a second. Um, but the one thing I, I want to point out is I think it was Brad Holmes who said specifically, and I think it came out of nowhere because I'm not sure if a lot of draft Knicks agree, that he views this draft class as particularly deep at the safety position. And so I think maybe there is a chance in the second or third round or, you know, the, Brad Holmes has kind of found a knack of, of finding safety, specifically safety help, in the in day in two, day two and day three. But, uh, but Eric, what do you think about the defensive talent in this draft? Yeah, I, I think the defensive talent is is good. I just don't think it's it's elite at the very top, right? The, the first 12 players in this draft are, are just happen to be offensive players. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily like something that the rules changes uh, that we've seen in, in the league have, have altered it. I just think it happens to be that this class is – it just has that much more talent on, on offense uh, at the very, very top. Now, in the middle of the first round, you're going to see a lot more good defensive players. You're going to see them you know, start to sprinkle in over in the top 100. It'll probably, by the time day two's over, you're probably going to have an even balance of offensive players and defensive players that have been taken. Uh, it just favors the offense early. Uh, as far as uh, defensive backs, yeah, uh, Holmes, like la- last year, Holmes identified Jordan Fuller as an, uh, as a safety, and they took him in the sixth round, and he started the whole season for them, right? right. So he's gotten very good at being able to identify uh, those types of players uh, at those positions later in the draft. So, you know, he, he's going to have to hit on those picks in order for this team to rebuild. He's going to have to continue that streak of, of being able to uncover players on day three that are going to contribute this year so um they're i think they're going to take a safety i agree with you jeremy it's either going to be day two or day three um there's just it seems to be the most glaring spot right now on defense that's that needs some help all right carrie appreciate the question man appreciate you guys i'll see you i'll chat with you guys next saturday all right thanks for the love man appreciate it all right, let's bring in another. Dan is waiting patiently. Dan, how are you doing, man? I'm good, thanks. Can you hear me okay? Yep, you're great. Okay, well, I just want to say I really enjoy, I've been enjoying the mocks and I've been, I've been enjoying the different sort of uh, aspects to them the last two Thursdays you did. So I have a question that sort of came up, I think, on Thursday. Sure. If you, if you guys, on the second day, what would, you, what would it take to go from, is it eight or nine, I think we're at, back up to one, like the second number one pick, as it second round pick one of the day or how much would it get to go to the 32nd so you get that extra fifth year and who would you do it for just your mm. gut your gut feel uh that I, I like that question a lot we had we did talk <clears throat> about it a little bit but yeah ever since the the nfl draft changed their their outlay to just the first first day is the first round that that 33rd pick the first day in day two has been a, a common trade target and yeah i think the lines are eight deep in the second round so um, let, let's, let's order you, Ryan. Um, is there any, first of all, would you, is that something you would consider? And is there maybe a player you think might be around the, the obviously it's hard to predict who's going to go in the first round, but that, that top day two pit talent that you might want to trade up for it probably cost, I don't know, like a fourth, third or fourth, I would think. Yeah. At, at least something like that. Right. Um, either like a third or a fourth in this round or in this draft itself, or maybe you're talking about like future, you know, uh, compensation and other drafts. But, you know, I'm with Eric that, you know, I think that there's a lot of good talent 
defensively in this draft, I'm not sure if there's going to be a player that slips all the way to, say, 31, 32, somewhere in there. So, you know, as brought up, you know, maybe you move up so you get you get that option on that fifth year, um, as, as some teams have, have done in the past. Um, because I, I truly think that that kind of runs contrary to everything that Brad Holmes has kind of done up to this point, right? Like right. all of the one-year contracts, uh, all of, you know, the the foundation of the Stafford trade. Yes, he got Jared Goff, but he got additional first-round draft picks and a third-round pick um, for Matthew Stafford. So moving up in the draft, I think it would take, like, a guy that they are just completely enamored with. And, um, you know, we, we don't really have insight into who those players are exactly, but um, I, I think somebody on this panel, <clears throat> Eric, uh, would have a, a better idea of maybe some of the players that might be of the ilk that they that they they'd be interested in, and I'd be interested to hear Eric's response to this. So, so um, I agree. It's if you want to move up to thirty two, it's going to cost you the the third rounder that you're getting uh, from the Rams. Uh, yeah. You're going to have to pay that to get to thirty two. If you want to go up to thirty three you might be able to get away with pick 112, which is at the top of the fourth round. So you're going to give up one of those two uh, according to, like, you know, the draft numbers boards, right? Um, but in my opinion, if you're going to try and trade up for one of those guys, you're ha- you're going to have to get a guy who is a immediate starter and, in, and there's no question about it. Now, if they take a receiver at seven, then that's, you know – there's a whole bunch of those guys. I don't know if you would need to trade up. I'm sorry. If you pass at a receiver on seven, I don't know if there's a receiver that you would necessarily say, I have to trade up and get this guy. Um, but I'm going to go back right, right back to safety. If none of the safeties go off the board in the first round, or if there's, you know, the guy that you want is sitting there, the top safety in the draft is sitting there at 32. Um, maybe they go get that guy because there's a clear need at safety. And the way that this, defensive scheme operates you need your safety to be able to call a lot of the split calls uh in in the split coverage you need to be able to identify and then uh, make adjustments from the safety position so that's a key role in in this defense so possibly if if you like um you know trevin mooring who's the uh seems to be the consensus top safety out of tcu he's comfortable in split zone he's running he's been in it before tcu ran a lot of it and um he's a guy you could bring in and he would be an instant starter he could be a team captain for you at some point and you know maybe he's a guy you trade up for um other than that i i really don't i'm not sure there's another stylistically type of guy that i'm saying i have to go get cool all right well thank you very much i really appreciate it and looking forward to next week's mock and uh, all right (laughs) yeah and and if you that's a good uh opportunity to shout it out we do thursday night mock drafts on our twitch and youtube channels live Thursday nights. Um, we might move it to Wednesday uh, for one of these, and we'll we'll definitely move it to Wednesday the the night before the NFL draft. So make sure you're following us on YouTube and Twitch. And with that, we'll take our first break here. When we come back, we'll be answering more of your questions about the lines, more of your questions about the drafts. So stick with us. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... 
that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back on our locker room Q&A, episode six, I want to say. Uh, we are here on the locker room app answering live questions from our fans, from Lions fans. Uh, I'm here with Eric, and I'm here with Ryan. Uh, let's just jump into our next call here. John is on the line. John, can you hear us? Yes. Morning, guys. Good morning. How are you doing, John? Not too bad. Good. Um, I just happened to, happened to see in my travels here on YouTube, there was a video that someone posted about the San Francisco 49ers in 1980, where they kind of signed Seifert and Ray Rhodes. They ended up mm-hmm. drafting like three cornerbacks, trying to improve their secondary. Um, is there any chance you think the Lions might try to focus on, rather than sort of picking players all the I mean, picking players all the way through, but focusing on maybe two or three categories, like maybe focusing on the, uh, the offensive line, receivers, and secondary, and just kind of double dipping on those three categories or something? It's an interesting strategy. I, I think right now with where the lines are set up, they're, they're not really in a great position to do something like that just because they have a limited amount of draft picks. But if they trade down, I would say that's certainly, I mean, wide receiver is I think something that we've talked about the lines potentially double dipping on considering they really don't have any long-term options on, on their team right now, unless you consider Quintus Cephas to, to be a potential, you know, one or two um, once his, his development is there. Um, but uh, let me throw it to you, Ryan. Is, is there maybe a position you think that the Lions could double dip? And, and maybe we can assume that they trade down and accumulate a couple more picks. Yeah, I think it's definitely contingent upon that. Um, yeah. with, with the way that they're you know situated right now with the limited draft capital they have, I think they need to, they need to target positions of need, um, especially now and moving forward. So, um, and, and you got to kind of spread the, spread the wealth there a little bit, but, you know, if the Lions do trade back, I think this draft sets them up pretty nicely for a position like wide receiver where they can get multiple guys. They can get a guy who is a slot specialist. They can get a guy who is an outside receiver because the only guy on contract past 2021 is Quintez Cephas. So I, I think when, um, when, when, you, when you take that approach to it, I, I don't mind if the Lions double dip at wide receiver. I don't mind if the Lions double dip at um, – at safety. I, I don't mind if the Lions double dip at, um, you know, linebacker Line. position. Yeah. yeah I, I think, I think that there's, there's multiple positions where that can be a distinct possibility if the Lions do trade back and accumulate more draft picks. Any positions we're missing, Eric? Well, no, I, the thing is, is that's a, I, I believe in that strategy. Um, if you have more of an established team. Okay. okay. Um, and, and the, the Rams actually will do this as, have done this as well. Uh, if you go back to 2015, they had 10 draft picks that year 
they used four of them on an offensive tackles. Okay. Hmm. So it, it's not out of the realm of possibility, you know, that, that this is a strategy that, that Holmes could adapt. They took a, a tackle in the second, third, fourth and fifth round. Okay. <laughs> but again, they had 10 draft picks that year. So uh, they did go position heavy that, that year. Now next year, if the lions end up with 12, could they take that approach next year? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. It, right. It's, it's almost more of a luxury thing, right, Eric? Yeah, it is. And it's, it's see the, the Rams were at a, at a precipice where they had uh, uh, they wanted to solidify their offensive line. They needed a right tackle that year. And so they took a bunch of guys to try and see if they could land one of them. They ended up with Havenstein, who's their still currently their right tackle. So um, if, if you're, you know, at that spot where you're like, I just need this couple of things. It's, it's good to throw a whole bunch of darts at it and trying and try and hit on one of them. Um, you know, Holmes has said it's, you know, sometimes you just, you're going to want quantity over quality because you're just going to, if you, the more darts you throw, the more, the, the better chance that you're going to end up landing the guy that's going to be successful. I don't think that's a strategy right now, but yeah, next year I could definitely see that. Okay, God. I was just wondering, like, especially with the cornerbacks this year, and I, like you say, if they traded back, I'm thinking if they trade back to where 15, they might be drafting one of the cornerbacks and then maybe seeing, like, a couple of cornerback safeties later on again. I'm thinking, okay, well, they could really do some damage in the secondary then and really get, like, our offensive line's not bad now and sort of improving that secondary and maybe our we might just go into next year looking a lot better than we thought. But that's great. That, that's what I was kind of wondering. All right, man. Thanks for the question, John. Appreciate it. Um, that's, that was a new one, too. We always appreciate new uh, interesting questions and scenarios. So thank you for that. Uh, let's bring our good friend Mathis in. Thank you for waiting, Mathis. How are you doing, dude? I'm doing all right. How are you guys? Good, good. Um, so I guess what, what I wanted to talk about um, were, uh, were – I'm, I'm not sure if you guys talked about this last week, uh, the pro days. Did you guys uh, did you guys discuss about whether or not somebody has – kind of moved up a little bit or moved down or checked off boxes about what about the pro days who have you guys seen that has that have um moved up or down because of pro days uh yeah i'm gonna throw this one to eric because he and i have actually had a, a couple conversations about this about one specific guy and I, I think you probably know who i'm talking about um who definitely hurt his draft stock with his pro day guy who didn't have any 2020 tape like a lot of these guys and a lot of people were expecting to run better but didn't do you know what i'm talking about uh, not off the top of my head now. <laughs> Rousseau, oh. right? Greg Rousseau. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, he, he, I, I, I've almost, I've almost put him as an afterthought as a, as a first rounder at this point. And I know I'm kind of in the minority on that. But yeah, we, we had a long conversation about Rousseau the other day. That's for certain. Um, yeah. What's interesting about the pro days this year is that, um, we're seeing such improved numbers. Over the past, uh, you know, past several seasons, and you know, a lot of it's being contributed to uh, people saying, you know, you know, pro days typically tend to favor. Maybe they're just, you know, fast fingers on on the, uh, you know, the times and stuff like that. But I actually, I think it's a little bit different. Uh, in my opinion, when you look at the pro days and how they uh, have been executed at the combine, they're at the 
end of a long five days, right? They're getting medical tested and, uh, you know, they're having to go to uh, interviews and they're just super, super long days. And by the time they get to day five, that's when they're doing their on-field drills and times. And they, and they, I think the scores are you are usually going to be a little bit lower than what they're actually capable of. When you get to a pro day, you know, you're more comfortable, you have more, more home cooking, you're, you're rested now. And that's why you typically see times that are, that are higher with no combine this year. I, I think that's really what's been a big attribute to having such higher scores. Um, as far as like which guys have, have stood out, I mean, it, it's a, I think there's, you could probably name a couple at every position, right? Yeah. Um, the one though, that kind of stands out to me as a guy who's in the top 10, who maybe, you know, isn't getting talked about enough, uh, is, uh, R- Rashawn Slater, the, the tackle mm-hmm. from Northwestern. His pro day was fantastic, right? His, his short shuttle, which is really a good predictor for offensive tackle success was lights out. It was one of the best that we, that we've seen in a really long time. And then you couple that with like explosion scores. He had good jumps, good bench. He had, he put together a whole bunch of good numbers on top of really good film. Uh, his arms came in a little bit light, but again, I'm, I, we've talked about him in the past. I'm not overly worried about that. But if I had to pick like one guy that I said, you know, that improved himself the most with his pro day, I, I'd say him. I think he's put himself right in that top 10 mix. I, I want to talk about Rashawn Slater a little more uh, because, Ryan, I think he came up in our mock drafts on, on Thursday as someone that um, the Lions could potentially target with a trade down. Um, and I've seen some people even put him ahead of Sewell, which I'm, I'm not currently in favor of, but. Um, it, it does seem like a lot of people are, are, are very high on him. If, if, would you be okay if, if the Lions went him at seven? I think it's really, uh, obviously it's dependent upon, you know, what kind of players are available there. Sure. Um, should I say what I'm about to say? Would I, would I take <laughs> Rashawn Slater over Kyle Pitts? Um, <laughs> what, do I have to turn in my Kyle Pitts card if I say that I would take Slater? Um, yeah, I, I, I really like Slater. The question with him is, uh, you know, at six foot four with, you know, tackles traditionally being six foot five and, and above, like do teams view him more as a guard or they view him more as a tackle? And, you know, the Lions are in this precarious position where they paid a guy to play tackle, but they're probably moving him to guard in Vitae. So is it a bad thing that Rashawn Slater kind of – you know, doesn't necessarily have a position pegged for him, um, whether or not it's going to be tackler or guard. I mean, the guy put up absolutely incredible tape against Chase Young in 2019. Um, I mean, his mirroring ability is insane. His footwork is great. You know, Eric just highlighted his his shuttle, um, his shuttle time, which is a great predictor of, of success at the NFL level. And the guy has the tape to match it. So uh, I'm very bullish on Rashawn Slater. Uh, at seven, maybe a little too rich, but – I, I wouldn't hate the pick if they move back to nine, if they move back to 10 and Slater is still there, I, I, I would, I would be, you know, just absolutely ecstatic that the Lions were able to add some, some more draft capital, um, whether or not it's in this draft or even uh, a future draft and, and get a guy like Slater to solidify their offensive line. I like him a lot. So let me, uh, so you guys, you mentioned that a couple of people have him ranked ahead of Sewell, uh, Daniel Jeremiah and Lance Zierlein both have, uh, Slater as their number one offensive tackle. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah has him ranked as the ninth best player on the, in the draft. Lance Zierlein, same ninth best player. Brugler has him as the 11th. 
Draft Network 12, PFF 11. Like he's right there. Yeah. Uh, and pretty much every one of these, uh, you know, boards that you kind of look at in respect. So, um, I, I think he's just not being talked about enough. And I, I do think if Sewell's gone, he could be an option at seven and it would surprise a lot of people because we've been so focused on receivers. But if, if, if he's there and they take him at seven, I really don't think it's that. I don't really don't. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't even say it's a reach. I'd say, you know, maybe they could have traded back, but probably sitting there and getting him at seven. It's not really a bad choice. I appreciate the question, Matthew. So we went out on a little bit of a tangent there, but uh, I hope, I hope we answered uh, your question. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) No problem. No problem. All right. We got a bunch to get through here. So let's, uh, let's keep going with Jason. Jason, can you hear us? Hey guys. Um, if a quarterback dropped to seven and the lions decided to trade back to say 15 or 19, are there any specific players that you would look for the lions to draft around that range? Yeah, we're, we're actually uh, planning to talk about this a lot in our upcoming podcast, but I don't mind dipping our toes into it now. Um, let's start with you, Eric, since you, you probably won't be on the podcast. I'd like to hear what you have to think. Yeah, I think you can start looking defense there. Um, edge rushers would be appealing to me. Quiddy Pay, Jalen Phillips, um, those guys are going to be in the mix. Um, Owosu Kamora. The, the linebacker from Notre Dame, uh, even Xavier Collins, uh, I would be comfortable taking at, in that 15 to 19 range. You could also talk about, you know, uh, corners. You know, we've talked about this a couple of times. It's going to be a little bit out of the box to go corner again. But if you really want to create competition, you know, J.C. Horn is going to be right in that range. Or maybe, you know, you'll, you think Caleb Fairley is, is real value there, uh, but he's slid a little bit because of the back surgery. And, and you could go – you could take him as well. Those guys kind of stand out for me um, on, on, on defense, on offense – you know, Christian Darsaw, he might be there at, at in that range. He's another uh, offensive tackle who uh, who could play, you know, left or right side. Uh, the Lions sent uh, Dave Sears to the Virginia Tech Pro Day, so they've gotten a look at him. Um, Elijah Vera Tucker, the uh, from uh, USC, the another ins- uh, he's more of a guard, but you know, if you're comfortable kicking. Uh, Vitae out to right tackle. He's another. He's a guy I, w- I would consider as well. Ryan, do you think it might be too early to maybe dip your toe into the second kind of tier of wide receivers, like let's say Rashad Bateman at nineteen ish? Is that would that be something you'd be cool with? Yeah, I, th- I think that's something I'd be cool with. You know, I, I brought it up on the podcast, and Eric, I'm not, I'm, I'm sure that you've you've seen the talk about Rashad Bateman just being kind of everybody's. Uh, you, last week we we talked about you know risers in the draft. You know, Bateman's this guy who is just exploding. Like, it seems like everybody's falling in love with his tape. There are some people I've seen that say he's even, like, wide receiver one, which is just, <laughs> just you know, may- maybe people are falling too in love with it. But um, the the one name that I think is really interesting that none of us have mentioned, uh, Christian Barmore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, going defensive interior – I mean, you know, PFF has them uh, has as Barmore as their uh, 14th best player in their on the draft board. I think that for as much as we've talked about the Lions' defensive line kind of being one of the more solidified units, um, I, a, a guy like Barmore seems like a really attractive option at, at 15 or even 19 if if he's there. Um, what are what are your thoughts on Barmore, Eric? 
I, I like I like Barmore quite a bit. He's my he's my top interior defensive tackle. Um, I I, I think it's a little early for me. Uh, I do like your Bateman suggestion. I, in, in my mind, Bateman can turn into Allen Robinson, right? And if you think a guy has the potential to be an Allen Robinson, then he's worth a first round pick, right? Yeah. So um, I, I I agree with that. He has been rising quite a bit. I'm not ready to call him. Uh, wide receiver one, uh, <laughs> but I could make I could I could listen to an argument that he's wide receiver four, and so that means yeah he he should be in the mix for that. But yeah, Barmore's interesting. He he, if you didn't go out and and trade for Michael Brockers, then I'd say yeah. I'd say absolutely Barmore would be a guy you could go after there. Uh, but they'd play a similar role to me, and so I'm not sure if you want to spend a first round pick on a guy. Who's probably going to be a rotational piece with a with a veteran that you just ex- gave an extension to? So um, that's why he's a little bit lower down on my uh, my personal board for the Lions. All right, Jason, appreciate the question, man. Um, we will keep things moving. Um, uh, another Eric, Eric Schmidt. Hey, uh, it's awesome to talk with you guys. I've been uh, started as a fo- Twitter follower back in the early days of Africa, and <laughs> I'm growing as as you guys go across the platforms. I love all your work, Jeremy. I especially love your writing. So, hey, thanks, thank man. You. Thank you for doing what you do. Um, so, my question is: We talk a lot about the first round pick and, and trading back, and I'm not looking for like an explanation of draft value chart or anything like that. I just want to know, moving beyond the first round pick, where do you guys draw the line specifically for this team with quantity versus quality? You know, if you could if you could trade the second for two fourths or the third for a couple more fifths or whatever, where where do you guys draw the line in terms of where this team needs more picks, but the higher picks are are better value? That's that I like sense? that. Yeah, no, it does. Uh, it does a lot, and I don't. I mean, maybe this is just kind of the natural way my mind works. Is like I really think the top value in most drafts, and and this one included, is in that top one hundred. Um, so the, I think the the most picks you can get in that top 100, that's where the value is really to be had. And that being said, I mean, Brad Holmes has a stellar reputation outside of that 100 as well. So maybe building up on those fourth and fifth round picks will be worthwhile to me. My opinion in general is sixth and seventh round picks are either for maneuvering up and down the draft or for taking some special teams guys. But occasionally, you know, um, Eric brought up the, 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 the safety that escapes my name from the Rams who – Jordan um, Fuller. Jordan Fuller. Um, but, I mean, that's more of the exception than the rule. So I'm kind of viewing load up on as many picks as you can in the top 100. Let's say 101 since they have pick 101. But um, that's kind of where I'm aiming. Um, what, what about you guys? Yeah, for me, my strategy is um, if you're going to trade down, you're only trading down like five spots and staying within range of your pick, but then adding a day three, I wouldn't be comfortable trading like out of the second round entirely just for two other picks later on or three other picks later on. Uh, I would only feel comfortable moving back, but staying within like, I can go as far, I'd say as, as far as 10 picks, right? Like if you're, if you're at 41 in the second round and you want to move back to 50, um, that's fine. You can do that, but you better be getting like a high fourth rounder in return for that. Right. So I, I, that, that would be my philosophy. Uh, at least this year for, uh, I would want to stay with pretty close to where I'm at. Yeah. We ran into this scenario on Thursday too, with our mock draft, Jeremy, where uh, in, in the first round specifically though, 
like once you traded so far back, you really played yourself out of that top tier talent that's available here in the draft. Like, you know, we, we talked just a, a caller ago about, you know, Rashad Bateman. Well, he is probably like that wide receiver four and you're like, if you trade back so far, like maybe you miss Bateman. And if you miss Bateman, well then like, yeah, there's talented wide receivers, but you know, at 15, 16, 17, it would be like a really reach um, or it'd be a really, uh, it'd be a little bit too rich to take, um, you know, somebody that's part of that wide receiver draft class and you could miss out on those guys entirely. So, um, it is a, it's a delicate, it's a delicate game that Brad Holmes has to play, uh, looking at the draft board and, and making trades. Yeah. I think, I think even one of the trade down scenarios we got on that mock draft Thursday was moving entirely out of the first round to pick up a 2022 first round pick, which, I th- while while that kind of is tempting in terms of the long term game, I don't think this this uh, organization has any interest in doing that, considering how many immediate needs they have right now. Mm-hmm. I think it was it was Carolina's first round pick, so I was like, oh, maybe you got to kind of think about that at least, <laughs> right? Because they don't they they don't plan on potentially being that good to to start twenty twenty one. Um, anyways, we got to get things moving. Uh, appreciate the the question, Eric, uh, and, and all the compliments you had to say. All right, let's bring on Ben. Ben, how you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for talking, gents. Um, I just had a quick uh, thought or question. Um, I was just looking at the uh, the best quarterbacks in the NFL, like current, where they were drafted. Mm-hmm. And most of them are not high, high picks. So, like, I mean, I know Josh Allen was three, but Mahomes is 10, Rodgers is 24, stuff like that. Is that just like a random thing or is that because they're going to better teams or do you think that's because like, there's just not the pressure of being the number one pick. Um, does that put the lines in like a sweet spot to pick a quarterback this year? I don't know. I'm just not quite sure what's going on with that. I, yeah, that's, it's an interesting question because there has been a lot of talk specifically about, you know, is, is it worth it to, to even build a team around a top, to your quarterback. I mean, obviously Matthew Stafford is a pretty good quarterback and, and taken first overall. And, and there, there are certain other guys that maybe haven't won a Super Bowl or haven't gotten the accolades um, and being a, a top tier pick. But I, I, I don't know. I, I don't really have a good answer for this. So I'm going to throw it to Ryan first. Do you, do you have kind of a, a, a theory about why these kind of mid to, you know, middle high first round picks are the ones that seem to be doing well so far? Well, it's it's interesting. The the names that Ben brings up are Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, two guys who were able to maturate behind guys like Brett Favre, sure. and you know Patrick Mahomes had time to sit behind Alex Smith and and really develop into starters. Which oh hey, look at the Lions situation right now. If they take a quarterback, that quarterback has some time to to get ready um, and be an understudy of Jared Goff. So it, two guys I that mean, were also drafted by John Dorsey. Interesting. Hey. <laughs> oh, hey. So, hey, confirm. The Lions will have their franchise quarterback within the next few years. Um, we'll, we'll see. But, yeah, it's uh, – yeah, I don't know how – I don't know what kind of calculus you have to do to, to make sense of all that. But, um, yeah, if Jeremy didn't have an answer for it, I, I don't have a great answer for it either. <laughs> but that, that, that's, my best, that's my best thing to throw out there. You know, the thing that I noticed between those guys is they had time to, to mature – and to develop into the quarterbacks that they are behind, you know, you know, great, great quarterbacks. 
What about you, Eric? Yeah, I think the, it comes down to the fact that the position is so difficult to evaluate, right? And, and and because it's so hard to evaluate, you're going to end up having a lot of teams that reach for guys that end up busting. But then it also comes down to the fact that, um, that like Ben said, there are better evaluators on better teams, and that's why they end up getting better players at those spots. So um, – I think it's a combination of both of those things. It's having the right guy uh, making the pick or, you know, getting in your ear with, but also, um, you know, just being able to find that one out of four guys that just happens to hit. Yeah. And I mean, there, there are definitely some first round picks that are young still. They might have that upward trajectory, you know, Baker Mayfield, obviously um, Joe Burrow had a fantastic rookie season. So I, I, I do think there's just a little bit of randomness in general, just because the the draft is, like you said, is it's a crapshoot, and the better evaluators tend to get the better guys, and maybe maybe that's it. You know, the better evaluators on teams that that pick not in the top, not in the top ten usually, or, or top five. So um, it, I think it, it, it's certainly not more. It's not one thing that we can point to, but a uh, but a lot of different factors there. Sure. Yeah, it just makes me question the conventional wisdom of. Like, hey, we have enough draft pa- capital to go up to number two next year and get whatever we want. Seems like right. we'd be better off just taking whoever falls to, to eight or whatever and building a team around them. Sure. It's certainly an option. And a lot will depend on, you know, who's in that top ten next year. What what sort of, you know, what what does the class look like? I, I know a lot of people say next year's quarterback class doesn't look so good. But um, there are a lot of quarterbacks that can make, make a name for themselves. It's just one good season. So. I'm willing to kind of wait and, and, and see how that all, whole thing plays out. Yeah, look at look at Zach Wilson this year and Joe Burrow the year before. They were both guys that just exploded, and then yep. all of a sudden the next year they're top two picks. Exactly. All right, thanks, guys. No problem, Ben. All right, and with that, we are going to take our final break here. When we come back, we're going to get our final few questions in here from our live locker room audience remember again if you want to join us for these live locker room sessions to get your voice heard make sure you download the locker room app on your apple device join us at around 10 30 saturday mornings so stick with us we'll be right back Closing up shop here on the Pride of Detroit podcast, Locker Room Edition, where we answer your questions. All right, let's go to our next in line, Nick. Uh, I just have a quick little two-part question, um, both related to the linebacker position. So first, I was wondering if you guys could kind of dive into why, like, there's a narrative that off-ball linebackers wouldn't make sense in the top ten. Like, I'm personally a big fan of Parsons, but um, no, obviously, like, I've heard a lot of people say that. And then the second part of the question is, and maybe, like, Eric could answer this, but – um. No, like what linebackers might fit if, say, we traded down to like 15 or beyond that or like in the second or third round. No, yeah, that's all I, all I want to ask. I'll take, take the reins, Eric. What do you think? I, I think the reason off the ball linebackers uh, are not as prioritized is just because of their impact on any given play, right? Um, you 
it's it's like value why quarterbacks are valued okay. higher than like uh, a receiver or or why um you know d- it, the closer to the ball you are typically the the higher you're prioritized or the the more ability to impact a play on, on any given down is why it, it is going to be prioritized which is why defensive ends end up getting a lot more hype so uh, it's just the nature of an off the ball position that t- tends to be a little bit devalued right uh if they trade down to 15 though um uh, i mentioned owosu kamara from notre dame would be a great guy uh to add uh Zabin collins is another guy that i really like quite a bit and he would be in that range and um at 15 those are my guys right if you if you jump out of 15 and you're starting to talk like hey if the lions are looking at a linebacker uh at 41 then you're looking at your Nick Boltons, uh, Jam Davis, uh, Jabril Cox. Those are guys that are going to be in that second round range. Again, um, they are going to have the speed and, and the ability to play uh, in a role that I think the Lions could use an upgrade at. Yeah, that, the, the whole linebacker thing is, is tricky for me. I, I personally, I'm, I'm kind of with you, Nick. I think it's more value than some people are giving it credit for. I mean, these are the guys that, that – get the majority of tackles in like everyone who every player that leads the league in, in tackles is, is your linebacker. So they're, they're heavily involved. And if you can get a three down guy, specifically a guy that can do everything, can rush the passer, who can drop back and cover, who can tackle run fit, all that sort of stuff. Those guys are actually kind of rare. And, and um, the line certainly need one or two of those guys. So I wouldn't be against it if the right guy was there in the top 10, but I'm starting to kind of have doubts creep in about Micah Parsons as well, whether it's the off the field stuff or even some of the on the field stuff. A lot of he's drawn a lot of Jared Davis comparisons, and maybe that's fair, maybe it's not fair. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, this year I just don't think necessarily the the value lines up with um, the, the player for, for the Lions getting a top ten linebacker. But um, but I'm not I'm not against it philosophically. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Appreciate you guys. Uh, appreciate the response, guys. Yeah, no problem, Nick. Thanks for calling in. Um, let's move on to Daniel. Daniel, are you there? Can you hear us, Daniel? Can you hear me? Oh, yep, Danny there boy. we go. Danny boy. <laughs> How you doing, man? Hey, man. Lifetime Lions fan. I'm out here in Seattle. I got a little bit of a time zone thing going on with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> You're waking up early to join us. I appreciate that. Well, I'm up early anyway, and I thought, hey, I'd like to talk to you. You know, I was in, uh, I'm kind of an old guy now, and I was in diapers the last time the Lions won a championship. <laughs> you're you're so, ahead of most of us there, so. Yeah, they're running out the clock on me, but I have to say that what I really, uh, what's really got me excited now is that this is the first time I can remember where there was like really legitimate long term thinking, mm-hmm. which I've always been a big fan of. So I kind of wanted to maybe you know, frame the conversation a little bit differently and say, let's look at this as like, we've got six draft picks this year and 12 draft picks next year. And we're Brad Holmes and we're thinking long-term and how does that affect how we look at the draft? And I guess the other part of it to me is it, it seems like it's really important right now to pick players that reflect the kind of team you want to build. So anyway, I just, Think, think, think like Brad Holmes, and think a little bit. How does this fit into the long term? Yeah, and and I, I guess the the question I can kind of turn this to the panel here is: How do you think that kind of long term um, commitment, that long term blueprint, 
um, affects how the Lions approach this draft? Does it mean they're more likely to trade back or does it mean um, maybe they're, they're more interested in getting some of the top tier talent and maybe trade some of those future late round picks to, to get up so that you're just loading up again on that top 100 talent. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious what, what you guys think in terms of how that long-term mentality might impact the draft. Yeah, I think Daniel brings up a, a good point that, you know, it seems like the Lions had this long-term approach and if they do for how many years have we been talking about always being team trade down? I mean, yeah. even go back to next or even go back to last year, just didn't seem like there was a, you know, a dancing partner for the Lions at three and they end up having to take, you know, Okuda, which um, it's going to be such a big season for him. You know, I, I think I, th- I think what what's important to keep in mind is 2021 is the, the first season where, yeah, Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell and they can make these draft picks, but they really have to take stock of the most important thing, which is like Jared Goff. And they're going to see what kind of quarterback they have in him. And I think that's really going to be a, you know, uh, a determining factor in how they approach subsequent drafts. But I, I totally agree. Like if the lions can build, if they can build more draft capital, if they, if they can move back, even if it's not just in the first round, you know, it, you know, as we talked about in, with, with earlier callers and Eric mentioning, you know, trading back in the second round, picking up extra day three picks. If the value is right, the Lions need to not even think about that. They need to continue to accumulate draft capital so that they can have, you know, as we've been saying, this entire locker room have as many darts to throw as possible. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just don't know how much it varies player to player or draft pick to draft pick this year. If they're thinking, hey, you know, are we going to take a wide receiver here when we could take one next year? I, I, I don't know how much of that is going to be at play. For, for me, it, it just means everything is on the table, right? Uh, even though we're saying receiver's a big need right now, um, it's also a big need in the future. That's yep. why it's a it's a popular pick. The same thing with the tackles. It's a big need next year. Um, same thing with the safeties and the nickel corners. Those are needs that are that are important now and later. So it basically means to me that when they're sitting there at 41, they're going to take the best player, not necessarily, Oh, we need a safety. So we have to take, we have to take a safety here because that's where we need a very obvious starting position. I think they're just going to take the best player, no matter what they'll trade down when they can, but they might, you know, take things out of order from what we're expecting them to take. And then that's how you're going to build in, in the first year. Yeah. I mean, if, if you look down the line on contracts, there's just not that many players signed beyond 2022 period. And so I'm with you. I think every, every position needs to be in into consideration, obviously, except for lines, long snapper that we, that's, that's locked up for the next 15 years. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, appreciate the, the questions and comments, Daniel. Um, we're going to do two more guests here and then we'll do a little bit of overtime with some people that I see that want to rejoin that we've already uh, heard from today. So let's jump to William. William, can you hear us? Are you there, William? Willie. <laughs> Willie, going once. Twice. 
Yes. Can you hear me? Oh, there you go. got it. Or just in time. How you doing? Oh, nice. my gosh. Okay. Good. <laughs> I don't know why it wasn't working, but it's working now. So uh, sorry about that. No, we'll blame um, it on the locker room, Matt. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So my question is, you guys were talking about Slater earlier. And um, Miami traded up, you know, a first round to get ahead of Detroit. And they're pretty confident about that. And, um, you know, usually you don't use a first round trade away way of first round to get a um anything other than a QB or a, a tackle. Um and then it got me thinking that um Quinn Scouts are with Detroit still and uh they're kind of known for picking good o line like uh Ragnow and Decker. Um and uh, I was you know just wondering if possibly they had some connections with Patriots and you know Miami has connections with Patriots if the word got out Detroit was gonna target another o-line so miami you know felt the need to trade ahead of us um and you know i just to me i was wondering or no there's another right tackle that's uh kind of you know people are saying that might go up pretty high and so i was just wondering what your guys' thoughts were on that like um you know like perhaps why would miami trade ahead of detroit yeah, that's that's been really an interesting piece of the puzzle over the last two weeks to try to figure out. I think I think a lot of people are assuming maybe it's it's a skill position player, it's a receiver of some type, but uh, that that's kind of an interesting idea that that maybe they think the Lions are going offensive line, so they want to jump ahead and whether it's uh, Sewell or or Slater, maybe maybe they jump up and get them. Um, what do you think about the the viability of that, Ryan? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with uh, with with William in, in the sense that if you're trading back up, you're probably targeting somebody of you know high positional value, and you're looking at things like quarterback, or you're looking at things like tackle. And the Dolphins drafted Tua last year, so what could they be interested in? Um, and it makes a lot of sense. So you know, at six, there's the distinct possibility that you know you know Eric Eric said you know, the Lions taking Slater at seven, it might not be such a popular pick, but it, it's something that's totally feasible. It's also something that I think is totally feasible that both Sewell and Slater might be gone before seven. That And that'd be a fantastic scenario, I think, for the Lions. I mean, obviously they'd be happy picking either of those guys, but that means another skill position play. That, mean, that means probably either Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts is in the conversation again. And you know that makes me a happy man. <laughs> Eric, what do you think about all this? Is this is this something that could legitimately happen? Yeah, it, what's tricky is is you yeah, you, you really don't know what Miami's intentions are. Um uh, wide receiver, offensive tackle all makes sense. In our community mock draft, uh they went linebacker, right? That's and right. They, they went and, Parsons, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and again, it's it's a little bit outside of the box, but it's not that far outside of the box because he would fit that scheme really well. So um, I don't know. Maybe Detroit was putting vibes out that they were interested in him, and they were, uh, in, and, and that's why you know Miami thought they had to get ahead of Detroit. But it's a good question. I I really think it's between those three. Uh, but I do really like the conspiracy theory that of the uh, connecting all the way back through the scouts and stuff. Uh, it's a small world in the NFL, and so you know, word of mouth. I wouldn't be surprised if it traveled like that. Yeah. All, all right. right. Appreciate the question, William. Uh, again, another creative one, uh, which I always appreciate. Um, Thank you. Yep. We do have one more person in the queue. Nathan, if you want to join in and chat, we'll, we'll do some overtime with you. Uh, we'll see but, you next week. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, Ural, you're back on the line. Ural, are you, are you still there? Yeah, I'll sit here. How you doing, man? How Do you think it's a good chance we get Nico Collins in the draft? Oh, I, I got to throw this one to air because I know he's a Nico Collins fan. I'm a Michigan Wolverines fan. So, so, so I'm, am I. <laughs> I'm a Lions fan and a Michigan Wolverines fan. I was wondering, is it a chance we get Nico Collins and um, Qu- um, Quinny Pay? Eric, what do you think? Give give a little Wolverine hope and Marism on this podcast. <laughs> well, if they trade back, I think Quiddy Pay would be a great addition. Um, if you're sitting at 15, like we've talked about a couple of times, Quiddy Pay makes a lot of sense. Um, Nico, I think, has solidified himself as a day two pick. He'll probably be a third rounder. Uh, if Detroit was going to uh, take him, it, it'd probably cost them the 72nd pick. Um I do like Nico quite a bit, and I think his uh, pro day really did a wonders for him. Like when Math is asked about like which guy had a great pro day that would have elevated him, Nico's one of those guys because Nico. And I think he's going to be the steal of the draft because look, <clears throat> Michigan had shitty quarterbacks. Excuse my language. <laughs> You're good, but but um, where any if he goes to a team that has a good quarterback. He's going to be a baller. Watch. Yeah, you know, he's he he reminds me he's kind of in the Kenny Galladay, Vincent Jackson type of mold, right? Where he's 6'4", he's going to run a – he's going to be uh, faster than those guys were. He's got good explosion. Uh, the, the difficult part is that Michigan didn't do him any favors with, one, their quarterback play, but also they just sent him deep a lot. They didn't have uh, a whole lot of arsenal in his uh, route range. And so because of that, I think they've really – kind of capped what teams, you know, the NFL film out there for him because he is more of a contested catch type receiver. At least that's what he he appears on tape because that's what he did well at Michigan. Can he do more? I do think he can do more. But right now he's kind of like being pigeonholed as as a Kenny Galladay type where you could draft him in the third round and then two years from now, you know, maybe he does develop into a wide receiver one. Uh, Does that fit with the Lions? I don't know. That's that's hard to say. I don't know if he would be as high on the Lions board, but he's going to be a good player. And I got a couple. I got another question before we go. Who y'all think is going to be the steal of the draft, and who y'all think's going to be the bust of the draft? Who you think the Lions should not go after in the draft? That's Ryan, my question to you. Okay, Ryan, do you have an answer for either or both of those questions? I know that's a tough question. No, oh, it's an for easy Ryan. question. You're all right. It's an easy <laughs> question to answer. Uh, the steal of the draft is going to be the best non-quarterback, and that's Kyle Pitts. He's going to be the absolute pick. That ain't a steal. Everybody knows Kyle Pitts is the I'm talking about somebody that ain't getting looked at. Somebody you know, that ain't getting talked about. Kyle Pitts is getting talked about. That ain't really yeah. a steal. I'm talking okay. about a steal. Well, l- let's l- let me yeah. let me talk about the player that I think is is going to uh, is going to struggle. Uh, I think in the next level, and I think he's got a lot of things going against him. But I think it's Micah Parsons. Like I, I think he'll be over. I think he'll be overdrafted, and I, I just I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not sold on the guy. I I, I don't think of him as a top tier talent, and um, uh, yeah, I'm just not crazy about him. What so. about that safety? I hear about him sometimes, and I heard he's climbing up boards. 
Uh, I heard he's pretty good. Uh, his name is um, Richie Richie Grant. How yeah. do y'all feel about him? Yeah, R- Richie Grant is a uh, uh, another really good fit for the Lions. Um, he's my safety two in this draft behind Mooring. Uh, he's a guy who could play free. And he can do it. He has uh, quite a bit of range. He's a guy I think they'd need to probably grab in the second round because I don't think he'll be there in the third. Uh, but he's a guy that I think is maybe not getting a lot of hype, but he's going to be high up on my board. Uh, if you want a sleeper safety, who I think is a guy who isn't uh, not being talked about a lot, uh, I'm going to say Sean Wade from Ohio State. Uh, Sean Wade was a nickel corner uh, mm-hmm. when Akuda was there, and he was a tremendous nickel corner. Then when Akuda left, he was asked to step out on the outside to take Akuda's spot, and he struggled mightily. Now, he struggled so bad that he's being talked about as like a mid-day three type of pick. If, if I'm the Lions, I'm looking at Sean Wade and saying, I'm going to grab him and I'm going to sl- uh, put slot him right back into the nickel and maybe even push him into a safety role, which seems very natural for him. And this is a guy that could be the Jordan Fuller of this class, ironically, same school, right? But Sean Wade is a guy who I, I think could start in the NFL and you could get him mid, mid, uh, day three, like in the fifth round. All right. Appreciate the question, Ural. Uh We're going to close things up there. Thank you, everyone who joined us live on the Locker Room app, uh, available on all your Apple podcast or Apple products. Make sure you download that. Join us at 1030 a.m. on Saturday mornings. Or if you want to just catch us, you can follow us on any of those podcast platforms and catch us on replay. Uh, again, appreciate uh, Ryan. Thank you for joining us. Eric, thank you for joining us. And, and for Pride of Detroit and everyone on our crew, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. It's chaos. Be kind.